Guys, welcome back to another Progress Pure podcast. This is the debate series, Is Beauty a Myth? And this podcast is based on Naomi Wolf's book titled The Beauty Myth. And if you guys don't know who Naomi Wolf is, she's an American liberal, progressive feminist author, journalist, and former political advisor to Al Gore and Bill Clinton, which I didn't know until today. And I decided to do this pod on the beauty myth because a really nice girl on Insta reached out to me about this book and about my perspective on it. And I'm really glad I read it. So if you guys ever have a book that you want to hear my perspective on or you want to hear a debate on, shoot me a DM and, and I'll read it. And if I like it, then I will do it. And the main kind of concept that she talks about in this book is that as the social power and prominence of women have increased throughout history, the pressure that we feel to adhere to unrealistic social standards of physical beauty has also grown stronger. She says that that's because of commercial influences on mass media. So whether that's advertising, movies, music videos, um, those kinds of things that commercial institutions are driving to make more money and whether it's solely because they're trying to make more money or actually because they're trying to repress women because now we have far more money and power and scope and legal recognition than we've ever had before so even though we have all those things in terms of how we feel about ourselves physically that's just massively declined and potentially we're worse off now than our unliberated grandmothers in terms of being psychologically trapped in this idea of this pursuit, I guess, of perfection, um, physical perfection. And so I hope you guys enjoy this podcast. One thing that I also want to mention is at one point I talk about how the beauty industry is valued at $300 billion around 1990s, which is not true. I double checked that and she, Naomi Wolf, actually says it was 300 million. And so also a couple of other apparently a few of the facts in the book you should take with a pinch of salt if you are going to read the book because I've read some criticism that those stats have been exaggerated. So just be aware of that if you are reading. And yes, I hope you guys enjoy this pod. Uh, okay, cool, cool, cool. Wait, can you see me all right on the, uh, the camera? I, I feel well? like I look very third wave feminism in my red turtleneck. Yeah, it's all like half of feminism is the look, right? Do you know what I mean? Maybe that's what they'll, the book will say. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the background light is on. Let me just turn it off. Entertain yourself. Although now you can't see my ugly pants. So much pants. pressure. <laughs> Wait, did you give the uh, did you give the viewers like the whole full body like, <laughs> polka dot trousers? I feel like this would not be the podcast episode to do a full body shoot right now when we're talking about beauty. No, but you've literally dressed as like the epitome of work from home shoot because you've got like the very like professional, well put together top half and then pajamas at the bottom. It's true. It's true. I've like completely exposed the uh, the whole illusion, haven't I? Yeah, I know. <laughs> and well, I don't know. Some people might think I'm doing it on purpose. Anyway, um, so Judah, welcome back. Thank you for having me. It's honestly a pleasure. And before we kind of dive into this one, I just want to stress that like, so I have read this podcast is the debate series, The Beauty Myth, Is Beauty a Myth? And it's based on Naomi Wolf's book, The Beauty Myth. Uh, I've been reading this for the past week, making notes on things which I find really interesting. And then Judah very kindly, very last minutely, has uh, agreed to come on the pod and debate this with me because he's my only friend. Um, <laughs> well, it's a good one to have though, isn't it? It is. Uh, it's quality, not quantity. Exactly. What I will just say though is that I actually haven't read the book. Yes. So I think what you said is the way we're going to do this is you'll talk a little bit about the content from the book. Uh, we'll understand a bit about what um, the author's arguments are and then we can have a chat about that between yeah. us. Yeah. So it won't be as informed, I imagine, as what you're going to be saying, but I think yeah. it'll still be fun to do anyway. I mean, nothing that you say will ever be as informed as what I'm trying to say, but yeah. um, no, I'm joking. I'm <laughs> Cheers, joking. Bro. You're welcome. <laughs> Just throw you under the bus there. So before we kind of like dive into it, the kind of key thing or the key statement that she says that I want to put out there is that the ideology of beauty is the last one remaining of the old feminine ideologies that still has the power to control those women, women whom the second wave feminism uh, would have otherwise made relatively uncontrollable. Now, that sounds a little confusing. I, I don't really get what you just said. Okay, so... Okay, so how I've understood it in the last week of reading is that Naomi Wolf, and by the way, this book I think was written in the 90s. Wait, Naomi Wolf, 
um, the beauty myth. I just want to double check when this was written. Uh, 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 did it say on the first page? 1991. Uh, yes. Okay, so it was, it was written around like the early the early 90s, late 80s, I yeah, think. Yeah, 1990. Right, okay, so it is not necessarily out of date, but it's just from the perspective of them, yeah, working, yeah. Um, so what I have understood from this book is essentially that the social, no, is that beauty, the idea of physical beauty is a social construct is a myth uh, which has been created by not necessarily individual men, but by institutions which are controlled um, from from men, from a collective of men. Not no one, no man in particular, but because of society of where we are today, that that and because that has been created because men have had more power throughout history and more opportunities and women have been suppressed throughout history that we are now controlled uh, we live in a in a world today where um from what they've seen as correct uh, whether that be misogynist views or repress repressive views that those things still carry on today and even though that with first wave feminism which uh first wave feminism occurred in the 19th century and the 20th century and that was largely concerned with women and getting the right to vote and then in the second wave feminism uh feminist wave you have in the 60s and 70s which refers to uh, women liberation movement for equal legal and social rights um, and so now that we've kind of got to a place in today's world 2020 where we largely have financial uh, e equality in terms of with men we largely have equality in terms of sex by having like contraception and the pill and uh, legal rights to have an abortion we arguably have equal educational sorry you've got the squeaky chair i do i'm gonna have to be really still on i know you have to time. be really still stop moving um, <laughs> uh, we we largely have equal rights in terms of education uh, in terms of controlling our own finance and so Naomi Wolf argues that because we have all these equalities now, the way that we still need to be repressed by men is through beauty, is by our looks, so that even if you, you, you break that glass ceiling and you go far, you will always be psychologically trapped from all these social things that we see in the world, images of models, she calls it beauty pornography, soft, por soft porn, beauty pornography, that we are so indoctrinated that we're trapped in our own brains. Uh, and she says very interestingly that the closer women get to power, the more intense pressure the beauty myth places on them as an attempt to undermine that power. Um, I just wanna pause and just repeat that because I think that's really important. Mm -hmm. So the closer women get to power, the more intense pressure the beauty myth places on them as an attempt to undermine that power. And I don't know if, before we dive into the different ways of how I wanna talk about this, I don't know if you've noticed this, but I went to an all girls school, lots of really, really intelligent girls who went to that school and a pattern, and I remember which my teachers used to tell us when they were warning us about eating disorders, is that typically, not all the time whatsoever, typically it's the really intelligent, really smart, driven, girls and boys who tend to also have the eating disorders um whether that's you know for whatever reason that might be but i just thought that was a really interesting correlation and so when we go in to talk about this there are kind of different ways that she different phenomenons that naomi wolf draws upon to highlight how beauty is a myth and some of those as she says uh in pornography how women uh, are either displayed as kind of like the big, you know, big breasted, blonde, like sexual woman. Um, she also talks about how feminists now, when you think of them, largely they've been cast or described throughout history and in, um, you know, social like works or whatever is like the ugly feminists. So you have like, they have armpit hair, they like burn their bras, they don't give a fuck, mm. you know, they're quite masculine. Um, and how these two images have been painted of women. She talks about religion, how religion has been a source of, um, of, uh, has been a source of repression for women because religion was largely written by men and painted women as subservient to men and should be owned by men and their whole entire job is to 
you know, serve them and have children and be the virgin, etc. She talks about diet culture, how when you look at diet culture, which is something I really want to talk about with you, mm-hmm. uh, and anorexia, eating disorders, bulimia. And she also talks about plastic surgery and how that is uh, basically women, um, you know, completely like going under the knife and destroying what they look like to conform to a beauty standard or what society deems as, as beautiful. Mm-hmm. So just a question, because I think there's a lot of stuff that we're going to have to unpack there. Yeah. And I'll let you take us through which topics you want to go through first. It would just be great to understand whether you think that this is a framework or a concept that applies to men as well. And the, re- the reason I ask that is because I absolutely agree with what you're saying and what the author says about how the concept of beauty has been driven by institutions. And I think one of the things she talks about is, she's an American author, so uh, Macy's, for example, defining what it is to be beautiful based on the stuff that they're trying to sell. Because we live in a capitalist consumer society, Mm -hmm. it's always gonna be um, creating aspirations of how we should be presenting ourselves that ultimately leads to buying more stuff. Uh, So it's aspirational beauty that comes with a price tag. Now, my, my question to you is, Taking aside, you know, the, the gender aspect for a second, do you think that that's something that men have to battle with or have to navigate as well? Okay, so I think that's a really interesting question. I think that typically throughout history, beauty to women is money to men. So I know that sounds weird, but I think that the pressure that women have to feel and look beautiful, men in the past and historically have had that pressure from society for power and money. And so... I don't think they there has been that same link of beauty and aesthetics to men. However, I think for the last like 25 years or some of the research that I've done is that these beauty corporations and institutions have started to cotton on to the fact that actually men are an easy target as well. Yeah. And so they've really jumped on the bandwagon of, you know, like diet pills now are also available to men and you have like protein powder. I mean, those things were typically around for a while anyway, like steroids and looking like strong and powerful. Yeah. But that whole idea of like looking strong, I think relates to the uh, power and money can also bring you that kind of power. And so I think that as well, that's where this notion of, you know, this typical idea, which we kind of like, we don't even really think about now. It's so obvious when we see like an old man Mm -hmm. and like a really young blonde, typically quote unquote, beautiful girl. What do you think? Well, yeah, it's exactly as you're saying. You would one might be forgiven for jumping to the assumption that it's a money thing, right. or you know that there isn't the romantic interest there, or at least that it's some of the power that she might be attracted to. Right. Again, like obviously, you can never generalize with these things, but I completely get what you're saying. You that... can, yeah, you can never generalize. But the reason why there are stereotypes is because largely, sometimes these stereotypes types are based on something that is true and I think that regardless of whether that really rich old man or whether that really young beautiful woman whether they've consciously thought about what they're doing they've accepted societal pressures of this guy he's got a lot of money therefore he deserves this beautiful young young in particular woman and they have agreed on that kind of uh, exchange like money and beauty is a form of um, like commerce. So that, that's really interesting. So there was something that I was watching on BBC the other day. It's a three part series on the rise of the Murdoch dynasty. Mm. And one of the things that that series looked at was when Rupert Murdoch was remarrying, I think his, maybe it was his third wife. Uh, he remarried very late in life when he was, you know, past the, past the point of retirement to uh, a woman from China who was about 30 years, I believe, younger than him. Um, and she was, you know, what people would typically describe as beautiful, like she had very symmetrical characteristics, she was in good shape. Um, people might have jumped to the conclusion that is that just a, you know, the relationship you were talking about, so what beauty is to women, money and power is to men. But then this was a woman who was also very ambitious, had a very brilliant mind and, um, you know, was hungry to rise in terms of her career as well. So. I think you could say that even if, you know, beauty is an aspect of it and this is something that drew him to her, this is only one example, but I think it is still equally important that, um, you know, it's it's about mental connection and it's about having somebody who's mentally stimulated. So if we're talking about, you know, how, how do we value people in society and who gets ahead? Absolutely. I think beauty is something that has allowed people to rise and that has put unfair pressure on people to conform to. But I think that in and of itself is not enough for 
people to be able to rise to the top of these corporations and stuff and that actually it's one tool in somebody's arsenal that they might be able to use but they also need to have ambition and drive because there's so many beautiful people that you see that are you know not not doing things that are as significant in terms of career or you know aren't in the public light but um so yeah do you so, know what i mean yeah but uh, so just so i clarify so what you're saying so you're saying that yes beauty is an aspect you're you're speaking specifically about success right now for women so mm. you're saying that beauty if i'm right beauty is an element which can contribute to a female being successful but is not the end all and be all yeah absolutely i think it's one of those things that it definitely it definitely is a positive factor i think people are it's one of those things that is very good at being able to disarm people so you might feel at ease if you're speaking with a woman and she's very beautiful and she might know that and be able to use that as, you know, part of her advantage, you know, to, to her advantage. Um, you know, in the workplace, for example, the, I think it's an interesting one because I, if I understand what you're saying in this, this book is arguing, it's saying that actually we shouldn't have to conform to that and it's something that has been put on top of us. Mm -hmm. But actually, I think that takes away the agency of the women themselves. And if you have somebody who is beautiful and they know it, and they say, well, how can I rise to the top of my organization? Or mm -hmm. how can I get ahead mm -hmm. or whatever? Mm -hmm. um, I don't think there's anything wrong with using that. Okay, so this is, in my eyes, this is the problem. Because I totally agree with you in the sense that if you're a beautiful woman and you can use that to your advantage on top of furthering your education and doing, uh, you know, becoming like more of an enriched human being through learning, through education, through just being whoever you want to be, mm -hmm. whether that's like being creative or not, that opportunity is limited to such a tiny percentage of the population because object like it's objective when everyone kind of agrees yeah. something is beautiful or like yeah. okay so if you have somebody who because it's been so indoctrinated in us as to what beautiful is from magazines from movies it's like skinny i mean this is typically this is not now and i know it's changing but this mm -hmm. is like skinny blonde blue eyes soft features like small small features being petite being tall all these things if now that we have that ingrained in our heads of that's what's beautiful, if we see someone who's like that objectively, then we, we're we all, yeah, like you said, we're maybe she can get ahead and maybe it's easier to talk to that person and we'll be more receptive to them. But what about, the problem is like, what about all these people who don't have that? And there's more, there's more of an issue on that as well because how do you even know that those women are secure because they know that their beauty is gonna fade one day and that creates a whole other topic on this. But what about all the people who don't have that? Like, why is that fair? And why have we all agreed that, and have we all consciously agreed that that woman objectively is, is beautiful? So I think the reason that I brought in the thing about the mind and ambition and it just being one element is, there's, I think, a couple of types of beauty that we need to discuss. There's absolutely the magazine uh, marketing uh, beauty, which is there to sell more products. But what I understand beauty to be is not just a aesthetic visual thing, but it's that if you have somebody who is a kind person, who is very in tune with who they are, who is looking after themselves mm -hmm. mentally and physically, um, and living a balanced and you know round, well-rounded lifestyle, I think that makes them beautiful people and people that others want to connect with. Okay, um, sure, but that's, that is not what we're talking about. So okay. if we're talking just about physical beauty, mm -hmm. like I fully agree with you that looks is not just the only thing that makes someone beautiful, it also is most definitely like who they are as a person. But in terms of like just having physical beauty, like going back to what you said about the, what's his name, Rupert Murdoch? Rupert Murdoch, yeah. Going back to him about that that woman like she even if she has all these amazing qualities and stuff she i mean i don't know but like arguably she got her foot in the door by having those looks and then she used what she had what we would deem as beautiful beautiful qualities potentially being really ambitious and driven mm -hmm. uh to build that like kind of like lasting relationship with him mm -hmm. so i guess what i would ask what i would ask in that is if I had to ask you a question based on that, like, do you think that it is morally wrong 
and like a social construct that we a social construct if beauty is a social construct that we should try and undo and untrain our eyes into recognizing a face and thinking that's beautiful and i'm going to associate warmth and openness and welcomeness and willing to talk to that person based on their physical appearance regardless of whether they're beautiful because of x other qualities well the question you're asking there is is beauty a social construct or is it something that we have intrinsic within ourselves as you know as humans as animals is that something that we're naturally drawn to yeah let's go to let's go to that because i feel like that is the basic of the the Mm -hmm. basis of the conversation and i would like to know your genuine general opinion on that so i think that everybody on an individual level has a i think people are naturally drawn to stuff that's beautiful and if we move away from people for a second imagine you're sat uh on a beach um you know, the sunset is going down. And why is it that everybody on the beach is staring at the sunset? It's not, you know, not because we're drawn to heat or light or whatever. It's because whatever it is, whatever you think beauty is, there are certain things that you just look at and you think, wow, there's certain things that capture our attention. So if you take that and you say, well, within people as well, there are certain people that, you know, do just capture your attention, both women and men. So I think beauty is something that is intrinsic and in- occurs naturally. I think the problem with um, the problem with beauty, as I understand it, is that what Naomi's talking about is that we redefined what people should think is beautiful, mm-hmm. and um, it's been packaged up. And like you say, it's been packaged up by uh, predominantly men uh, and corporate institutions to be able to uh, forward their own agendas, and then that has a trickle down effect on. Um, you know, how women or how people are able to get ahead in, you know, office environments or whatever, and it moves away from meritocracy towards um, beauty as a unfair defining characteristic that helps people get ahead. Mm -hmm. So I think beauty is something that is naturally occurring. I think people are naturally drawn to it, but I think it is problematic that there is this concept and this notion of beauty that is pushed onto us and that causes people to feel inadequate. Mm -hmm. Now, something that I would love to understand from you, Mm -hmm. and I think it will be way, kind of way past the scope of the author because this was written, what, 20 odd years ago, is how do you think things like Instagram and social media have warped what we think beauty is? Yeah. Because one of the things that I find crazy is all these filters and the, the ways that people can edit photos of themselves so that even if you take a picture of yourself head on um you can completely adapt it to these false false um standards of what we think beauty is yeah i think that it's a good question and reading this book and thinking about things like that because i've been actively thinking about it i've been thinking like how what what i did in the past with progress pure and fitness and all of that stuff how much does that also feed into this like how much of that was just me feeling pressured by forces that I wasn't even really aware of in in like motivating my actions and like what was I doing like not in terms of like what are we what are you doing you know not a judgmental thing but like genuinely what was I doing and what kind of like hunger was I fulfilling in that because clearly I was fulfilling some kind of like desire or want to look a certain way and so anyway reading this book it was genuinely quite sad for me because I was like oh my god like I can't believe I wasn't aware of this and so answering your question in terms of how do I think social media plays a role in this is that I and like filters I think that a hundred percent like now reading this I just realized that it's so crazy because so typically like on if you use an Instagram filter they are so fucked up they like give you longer eyelashes they clear your skin they make you look younger they you know smooth out wrinkles they you know make the color of your hair nicer like get rid of random like frizz bits and stuff And it made me think this book, I was like, wait, why do I think being younger is better? Mm -hmm. Why do I think having less wrinkles is better? Why do I think making it look like you have bigger boobs and like a smaller waist, like why is that better? Mm -hmm. And then I realized, ah, okay, I think that's better because you know, my mom told me to not eat this tub of ice cream because I'm going to get fat or because, you know, someone told me on the street, like, um, well, not someone told me in the street, this didn't happen, but like one of my friends told me that maybe I shouldn't wear that because like my stomach sticks out a little bit more. And so those things are offshoots of everything that they've seen and everything that they've seen is heat magazine that circles, you know, horrors of the week. And it tells you that it's like cellulite is bad. And then I think, 
okay, why do we think cellulite is bad? And that's partly because there's this billion, billion, I think it's like $300 billion industry, or it was in 1990s, of companies, Clarence, Elizabeth Arden, everyone telling you, cellulite is bad, so buy this. You know, wrinkles are bad, so buy that. And it just makes me think, is do we objectively see those things as bad or do we only see those things as bad because they're making money? And it makes me think that all of this is economically motivated. So I think that last point you made, absolutely, I think the reason we think these things are bad is because the companies have something to gain in pushing their anti-aging cream or whatever. Mm, they make money. But if we go back to what you said just now at the beginning, which is um, it made me reconsider what I was doing in the early days with Progress Pure. So I remember when we first started gymming together back in what must have been like, what, 2016, 2014? 2014, 2014. So I remember when you first started to do the health stuff and like you, you were really getting into the workout routines and stuff. And look, there was a lot of, this is, you know, this is me posing. This is like the, the gym wear and stuff that I do. And it was a whole lifestyle thing. But how many people do you think you've inspired to take control and take ownership of their health? And I think it's a big difference between cosmetic and superficial beauty versus you know being in a really good physical state i mm -hmm. think that is absolutely something to celebrate and to aim towards yeah so look i think are there unrealistic standards of beauty that are put out there by the media and put out there by shops and uh, fashion labels and that kind of thing absolutely but there's also a different type of beauty which is the beauty of being able to really look after yourself and it's things like eating well, sleeping enough, exercising. Um, and I think that kind of beauty, so it doesn't have to be, do I have the right shade of makeup on? Do I have the blonde hair? Whatever. I, I don't think that's a good thing. I think it's very toxic. I think it leads to a lot of mental health problems for people. But I think we absolutely should be promoting, you know, a healthy, balanced lifestyle, getting people to want to be in shape because ultimately it leads to a happier life, it leads to a longer life. Um, and you know, we were talking earlier before I came onto the podcast, like if I look at my experience over the last, what, 12 months, so, you know, beginning of 2019, I got really big, I put on a lot of weight uh, and then went on a massive health kick for, you know, the past few months. And if I just look at, well, how are people treating me or how are my interactions with other people? People are a lot more open and friendly. Yeah, but okay, yes, but, there's one I want to highlight, just sorry to interrupt you, but there's a difference between being fat mm. and risking your health and then and then slimming down and looking a certain way because people are going to, and people treating you better because of that. So like, it just makes me, if you, if somebody is overweight and if they're fat, I'm not a proponent of that. I think 100% take that lifestyle and make sure that you, you prioritize your health absolutely number one. Mm. However, like, going back to the progress pure thing i just i had try and get to the root of this and think like okay you know and it seems very frivolous when you talk about it like i have videos on there being like how to get abs and like how to get a bigger butt and like how to lose weight on this place and even though yeah it's good because i'm encouraging people to take their health into account maybe they reduce their alcohol level people did reach out to me saying you know my health is so much better now but then what I was complying with is basically telling people that having fat on your stomach is bad. Mm -hmm. And so, and and maybe, yeah, having some fat on your stomach is bad, but, but telling people, like, but why is that bad? Like, why do women want to look smaller and more petite and more delicate? Do you know what I mean? Like, why do mm -hmm. men want bigger muscles? And like, and why do, why do you want a six pack? Do you, wait, firstly, do you want a six pack? I would love to, yeah, I mean, okay. it's, it's the goal, yeah. But why is it the goal? <laughs> so I think for me, look, it's always going to be, part of it is how am I perceived by other people? And I think if I'd said that it wasn't, I think that would be dishonest. Mm -hmm. But why am I on a health kick and why do I enjoy it? I think part of it is it gives you that inner confidence and it makes you feel happier with who you are as a person. Now, so, you're, okay. you're, so what you're saying is, are, do we feel like we're happier as a person because we're told that this is what a good person looks like? Yeah. I think that even before, okay, so I'll give you an example as, as my inner history nerd coming out. But okay. if you go back to, you know, Greek and Roman times, if you've ever been around the British Museum and you see there's these big statues of like ripped guys with like the, the six packs and stuff. I think we as a society and as a species have always put uh, a value on people being physically, um, I guess, attractive. Like we see that as a desirable quality. But... 
So the difference between the men and women, like firstly, you're right, Dave, what is it, Goliath? No, so David, David and Goliath is fucking Peng. Like he's tall, he's got the abs. Not, not me, David. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to give you a compliment subliminally. Um, do you know what I mean? Like he's got the hair. Mm. And when I see that sculpture, I think power, I think strength. When I see the ones of women, they're very different to what today would be the ideal. So the ones ah. of women are like, slightly bigger rounded stomachs very soft they don't look like they go to the gym and it makes me wonder is that us objectively thinking oh that that man is beautiful or are we linking that man to power and telling men that no you don't need to have a six-pack to look beautiful but you need to be powerful and back then the terms of being powerful was mm -hmm. physical prowess because it was very unlikely you were going to be born into money and, and being a king and so i think if you look at the societies around the world, and like, yeah, I'm really happy that you brought this up because actually, regardless of commercial interests, people are always like, because we're a visual people and, you know, sight is one of the most used senses by us, it's, it's of course, there's going to be things that we're drawn to and there's going to be standards that we define. And I think that changes throughout history. So when I was in, I think it was when I was in Ethiopia about five years ago, one of the things that I noticed is if you look on the billboards, the women who were chosen for um, adverts typically were um, a bit rounder and weren't as skinny and, you know, had, you know, very like full faces. And the reason for that is in a country which is uh, less economically developed, um, that's seen as a sign of prosperity, being able to be, you know, slightly rounder and, you know, wh whatever. So because you can eat, you can afford to eat food. Exactly. Yeah. So I think it's really interesting because of course, concepts of beauty are driven by, now, are driven by a commercial interest. And back then would have been seen as indicators of somebody's status, whether it's I'm powerful or I am, you know, in some countries I am of, you know, childbearing capability or whatever it is. Um, I, think, I think that's something that we've done throughout time. So it's a modern phenomenon that we've created these artificial and almost unobtainable uh, concepts and notions of what beauty is. But to go back to the original question, do I think beauty is something intrinsic and do I think it's something naturally occurring? I think yes, because societies around the world define beauty in different ways, but it's always something that is aimed towards and to be aspired for. Yeah. Yeah, I think I agree in the sense that we have eyes for things that are beautiful, whether it be a person or a dog I mean, I probably shouldn't link people to dogs, but like a person or like a vase or anything. Mm. We can look at something and we think, oh, that's very pretty. The, the thing that kills me and with the whole, like you talking about Ethiopia and, and even, you know, in different times linking women and beauty to fertility. Like, for example, I, like it's classic that men, I think, typically you know, I don't want to say they prefer these kinds of women because I don't think that's a healthy thing to say, but like are typically more sexually attracted to women with larger hips because they, they resemble childbearing hips, right? And mm -hmm. so that woman is probably more fertile and so they can drive evolution, which is the whole point of our existence. And then, it, but in today, I want to go back to the point that Naomi Wolf like really talks about, which is the fact that because women have advanced economically, socially, politically, they still need to be repressed by society in some way. And so like back in the 20s to the 50s, you know, women were housewives, they were domesticated. And so institutions would make money and profit from women by spending their husband's money by saying, hey, you're gonna be the better housewife, which was the ideal if you buy this broom. Mm -hmm. um, and today, because they can't sell that idea to women, what they can do is kind of trap them psychologically and say, you can be even better and even more attractive if you buy these diet pills, if you buy this corset thing, uh, you know, if you spend this amount of money on a personal trainer. So that no matter, I just want to know your opinion on whether you think that's true, because then no matter how successful a woman becomes, she will always be trapped in this ideal that she's never thin enough um, and that she's never beautiful enough. And it's also super interesting because this whole idea of a woman never being beautiful enough is all centered around the male gaze accepting her. Mm -hmm. Which is also interesting considering that the male gaze is kind of irrelevant because they would probably like someone who had bigger boobs, was probably 10 pounds heavier, and isn't, you know, like animalistically probably not so drawn to somebody who has like a very skinny frame. But like, that's what we've been told as women is the desirable, is it our desirable thing. So does that concept make sense to you that because we've 
we can't repress women anymore in terms of society. I mean, we probably still can, but whatever. In terms of society that the industries have kind of tried to trap women in their brains to feel like they yeah. can't ever get ahead. They can never be fully happy and they can never fully, because if they have full sexual, um, not necessarily sexual, but like physical um, liberation, then that's a real threat to men. Mm-hmm. So absolutely, I, I agree with everything that you just said. I think it makes a lot of sense. And as a as a concept, like, well, if you look at well, who, who stands to benefit from that pattern and that entrapment and you know, who's defining what these standards are and, you know, what's the outcome of it. Absolutely, it makes sense that these companies are gearing all of their marketing and advertising towards unattainable um, unattainable standards because if you can never get there, you'll keep purchasing to be able to get to that point. Exactly. And um, again, I think that that's something that is a challenge with consumerism in general because we're always told, whether we're men or women or children, that nothing you buy will ever get you to where you need to be so you need to keep going and you need to keep going and going and going and the reason that we can never get to the finish line is because the kind of the finish line keeps getting moved Mm -hmm. and it keeps getting you know changed what the kind of ideal end goal is that we're trying to get towards so in the context of what you just spoken about absolutely i think that's a challenge Mm -hmm. um but one of the things that i want to know is do you think that it's especially obviously obviously the whole book is talking about it in terms of the female experience do you think that this is going to become more and more of a problem for men and for people in general because as you know traditional concepts of masculinity are eroded um and you know all of these sorts of things it makes it easier for men to be trapped into that repressive cycle as well do you see that as being as much of a problem or that's really interesting because i was talking about this with my friend yesterday about how like what defines being feminine what defines being masculine is being more and more eroded which i think is a really good thing because typically when people say i don't feel very feminine you would think oh she doesn't feel very cute or vulnerable or sensitive mm-hmm. and if a man someone say i don't feel very masculine i would probably think oh they don't feel very aggressive or tomboyish or um boisterous you know and i think that as those terms diminish and maybe the barriers between feeling more like a woman or feeling or like a, you know quote unquote woman or feeling more like a man are eroded then perhaps we are going to move to a place where this does affect men more mm. however maybe because maybe this in general will deteriorate this whole idea of um being able to get ahead i mean i don't know like it's difficult because because these terms come from like men looking at women as like a sexual being or she links beauty to sex a lot which is really interesting and how these cultures have kind of deemed that if you are uh, beautiful then you can kind of like unlock that chastity belt and like you kind of are deserving of sex Mm -hmm. and I think that if the barriers are like decrease or like we said eroded more and more then maybe men i'm just trying to imagine if there was no gender like if we were do you know what i mean like well, let me ask a question so yeah i have recently bought um okay so i've bought my face wash my exfoliator my toning thing and then my moisturizer and you know i've started doing that every day so i've been sold a concept of this is what it takes to look after yourself and to look good and to present yourself and here's the price tag associated to it. Mm. Now, I don't know the answer to this, but it would be good for you to hear you try and speculate, but like, why is it that I feel compelled that I have to go through that routine? Well, this is the thing. I think that's, I think that's society pushing itself on you because mm-hmm. like, one, it sounds like you've done that because you want to try and essentially look young, younger because mm-hmm. we've been told that looking younger is better. Now, it's very interesting that you've done that because you're a man mm-hmm. and because the idea of youth and men is not really so pushed upon us. Men have this free ticket to age and to still be attractive and to still be desired by women, largely because you guys are kind of in control mm-hmm. and you control how much whether you desire us, which is what Naomi Wolf is kind of arguing is like women have been brought up to desire to be desired. So you kind of have that control. That's interesting. And also you're in the realms typically of like money and power. So chasing beauty for men, I think is less more of an ingrained thing. However, now that you have the rise of 
gay you know homosexuals or men who or transgender i'm not saying those are the same things but um men who are typically embracing femininity more you have like k-pop like you know in japan of these men who kind of looking like women justin bieber's like latest video of candy him basically looking like what we would call a girl or feminine mm -hmm. maybe you're buying into that more because those roles are diminishing okay and then it goes back to what you were saying that the whole thing is what we see as beauty is defined by corporations and we're told that you need to be a certain thing to be valid and to be deserving of desire mm -hmm. um which is okay so i completely get that and that actually answers my question well why do i need to buy all these things mm -hmm. it's exactly the same for why a woman might be told they you know i should wear this perfume or i should buy this dress mm -hmm. or i should get my hair dyed in a certain color it's because there's an in it, there's a concept of this is what we see perfect as as a society, which is pre-created by people that are trying to sell more stuff. Yeah. And it's interesting because there's- I've To seen... sell more stuff and to repress women. So do you think it's, do you think the repression of women comes, is the primary reason? Or do you think that is a, um, an effect of the desire to sell more stuff? And the, re the reason I ask that is because the timeline that you talked about was typically women being housewives in, 40s 50s 60s before as well and it mm -hmm. was look by this broom you can be the perfect housewife now as they enter into the realms of men it's um you know they're like well how can we still sell stuff to women um or do you think it's that there are people that are trying to keep them out of positions uh keep women out of positions of power because those are two different things and i'm not saying that they aren't both effects but it's which one comes first and which one is the primary motive okay so i think it could be both I think that I think that there is this notion of and when I speak about this I'm not talking about like personal experience but and this is just from my understanding and what I've learned but like what I think is that okay so typically in a law firm maybe 40 or 50 years ago when it was dominated by by men and this is not men's fault like you know this is something that has also been pushed upon men and you know the, judah this is not your fault i don't hate you but like sure. you have also been programmed from like your grandmothers maybe even your mom like your, your grandma's grandmas that a woman typically belongs in the home is domesticated is maternal and the men have to kind of like earn money and so i think that when those lines started and thank god you know when women had access to more education and those first few women started join, joining law firms i think that instinctively unless you've been raised in a very very progressive household um, and even in that case, you're still subject to adverts of like women sexually drinking a Coca-Cola or like smoking a cigarette or whatever. It's all to do with like sex because sex mm -hmm. apparently sells. Um, I think that instinctively those men in that law firm would have seen that woman as either a sexual being um, or would have seen her as kind of a man, ugly, like feminist, intellectual, very unsexual being. Mm -hmm. And so I think that and like men would have, you know, like maybe not in a law firm, but I was reading one case of men having like pinups, you know, of like women with like big boobs in like a coal mine or wherever they were. Um, and when women first started coming to work in those work environments, feeling really, really uncomfortable. And I think the men, when they saw those women, didn't want to make those women feel secure because they didn't see women as on their level. Mm -hmm. So I think that whether they started saying things to them in a way that was like degrading, um, and putting those women down because they had linked what an ideal woman should be as either this like big breasted, like pornographic thing or something else. I think that that would have repressed women in that way and also contributed to the economy and capitalism of this is how you can stay younger and stay looking like, because if you put a photo of this pop-up, this pin-up girl on your wall, you're essentially telling a woman like, this is the ideal, you know? Mm -hmm. And so women don't didn't have like people who they could look up to, like Ruth Bader Ginsburg, they on the wall. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. when they see that, they think, okay, so the way for me to be desired and accepted in a man's world is to look like that. And so then companies or you know um, co cosmetic industries realized okay, so we can capitalize on that insecurity and we can sell women this idea that one day they can look like that and be desired by, by that man. Mm -hmm. Do you see what I mean? I see, I see exactly what you mean. I think one of the things that it'd be good to understand though is do you think that that is still as much of an issue now? And the reason I ask that is absolutely, I can see how that would have had that effect on women by having these 
male-created notions of what a woman should be that are completely unrealistic and actually, you know, th those women don't exist. Mm. It's all posed and it's all enhanced yeah. for, for photographs. Absolutely having that in the workplace would have caused feelings of inadequacy and anxiety and, you know, a feeling of exclusion. Now, when there's such a focus on gender equality and there's huge... Um, changes in the conversation especially in a professional environment around what is and isn't acceptable misogyny is um a career-ending thing if you're a man and you say something off color you know it's it's really bad and as it should be do you think that oppression is still the reason that there are these unattainable uh, notions of beauty or do you think that it has now shifted from being primarily a repressive instrument to being one to uh, further commercial um, interests of companies? I think both. I think there's still glimmers of, I think it's really obviously massively improved since like the 90s, um, because in the 90s you have, you know, Kate Moss saying nothing tastes as good as skinny feels, and you have, and it's so difficult because like bringing my own personal experience into this as much as I hate to say that, like I understand that because I have felt there are times where I have like tried to not starve myself now, but when I was doing those progress people thing, which we were talking about, like some days where I would try and restrict myself to like 1,200 calories and mm -hmm. I would do that for like a week or so and then I would binge massively and thinking about that, the joy I would get and I, you know, I've never, I haven't had anorexia, I've never had bulimia, but like probably have had an eating disorder on some level to some mm -hmm. degree, because that's just not a healthy relationship with food. And then like massively binging, but like I would feel so good, you know, about being feeling skinny, mm -hmm. and then thinking like, then when I would think about it now, I'm like, but why does that feel good? Like, who yeah. am I doing that for? And so I think in today's world, even though it might not be such an instrument of listen, we are whoever the voices of we trying to repress women by promoting diet pills, which is still very common by telling women they should get a personal trainer by how they should lose 15 pounds. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's not Maybe I don't think it's as black and white as these corporations are trying to repress women, but I think that maybe it's become so ingrained in our culture that, and in, in the in the brain of a woman that that's what we associate now with happiness, and so we just chase it without even thinking about it, which is really scary. Mm -hmm. Like today, I was spinning, and I spin Saturday, Sunday. I work out five days a week. Where do you spin? <laughs> spin off London, cheeky plug. <laughs> um, and I love it, right? And it's probably the same with you. Like you love exercising, mm -hmm. and I was on the bike spinning. And yesterday, I ate loads. Like I had loads of cookies, and I had crisps and popcorn and all this stuff. And I didn't feel good about myself because it wasn't healthy. And again, there's a line between healthy and physical physical beauty. But then I was on the bike and I was working really hard and sweating and sweating. And I, I had to check with myself, like, am I pushing myself because I feel guilty because I've eaten, because I don't want to gain weight, because I don't want society to think I'm fat, because that will indicate that I'm lazy, because then that will mean that I'm not sexual, because then a man won't want me. Do you know what I mean? I'm like trying to unpick all this shit in my head and I'm like, oh my God, what are, what is my own thoughts and what is society? But you can you can say that about anything and I think that's such a big rabbit hole. And you know, yeah. as, as I think I was saying either earlier on this or before we started recording, like I think the most important thing with health and senses of beauty and whatever is to shift the focus from I want to look like this so to uh, I really enjoy the process of and what that what I mean by that is rather than saying I really want to have abs so that women will find me attractive so that um, I can have more sexual partners whatever to I really love working out because it makes me feel fantastic and it de-stresses me and I love the process if we change the conversation from you need to look like this to be valid to these are the things that we should, um, you know, we should as people be trying to go for, I think that puts a much more positive spin on what beauty is. Because look, it's what we were saying. Absolutely, if you're a man or a woman and you're in very good physical shape, um, there is something to be said about how that makes you feel and how it impacts other elements of your life. You walk with confidence, you're more happy, you have better skin, you have better hair, like all of this stuff comes from that. Uh, and I think that's great, but that's because you're trying to think, well, how can I live in the, both the best and most happy and effective way possible? The flip side, and I think this is the, the core of the book, is saying, well, you've got all of these end states that we're told we need to get to. Uh, and if you get to this, then you will be able to unlock all of these things you're looking for. And absolutely, I think that's a very uh, toxic and repressive set of ideas that we've come to adopt. So when you're saying, why am I on the bike? 
and why am I pounding it out to get, um, is it because I want to push myself as much as possible or is it because I ate something and I've got these notions of what mm. it is to be beautiful? Mm. I think it's both. I think it's both. I don't think it's one or the other. Um, but ultimately, I don't think it's a bad thing to some degree that we have these ideas that we want to better ourselves. Mm-hmm. And if we do indulge ourselves a little bit, um, it's you don't want to feel guilty. Mm-hmm. But equally, I think having a sense of discipline mm-hmm. is important. Yeah, I, I do fully agree with you. I think having a sense of discipline is very important. I think that it's tough because thankfully... I uh, I have good mental health. Do you have good mental health, would you I say? So. Yeah, I think I do. I think you do too. I mean, and I think a lot of people don't. I think you and me are in a very fortunate position where we can check ourselves before we wreck ourselves. You know, <laughs> we so can we, <laughs> <laughs> You know, we can think, okay, I'm exercising this feels good and I really enjoy it. But then again, somebody who's anorexic might have tell themselves arguably the lie of I'm exercising and this makes me really feel good and this is the only way that I'm going to be happy and that might not be the case just because that's true for you and I do you know what I mean doesn't Mm -hmm. mean it's true for someone else and it's difficult because then you go down a rabbit hole of well there are so many individual cases but um but I don't know it's just something that I've just started to think more and more about and how potentially there is a line and I do think being active is a good thing and I think being in shape is a good thing but then again saying in shape like what Mm. does that mean like is that just something that I'm saying because that's what I've been told by magazines that that's a good thing because if it is then I can't I I can see how they've won to a certain extent like Mm -hmm. I pay there are things I don't pay for because I know that that's they for me they're stupid and marginal like I don't really pay to get my nails done anymore because I'm like that's a stupid notion. Like, yeah. if you really think about it, like, paying 30... I mean, you know, if I've got the cash, I will go and get my nails done. But, like, spending 30 quid to for someone to put a colour on my hands and, like, clean away dead skin is a bit crazy. But then you think, and I would love to get your opinion on this, plastic surgery. Like, mm-hmm. women... I mean, obviously, men also go for plastic surgery, but the majority is women, and specifically cosmetic surgery. What is your opinion on... Because when you look at a woman with like full lips, right? And because mm-hmm. she's gone and got a lip job, do you you might find her more sexually attractive? And like, what? how do you feel about women so, who get plastic surgery? So it's, it's really interesting, that question. And I think there's a couple of different ways you can look at it. First of all, like, it, re- it really does break my heart that people are so dissatisfied and so unhappy with their physical appearance that they feel the need to go for, you know, what is potentially quite dangerous and harmful surgery. To, to fix something that ultimately isn't broken. Um, and I think that comes from everything that Naomi is talking about, which is false senses of what it means to be beautiful. Like, you know, you have to have this shaped nose or these kinds of lips or wh- wh- whatever it is. I, that is really sad. And I think it's incredibly toxic for, uh, for people, especially at a young age, and especially with how much we're shown on social media and in magazines and things like that. What I will say is, if you're somebody who... Like, so I think that is the cause of people feeling the need to alter themselves. And I'm very, you know, everybody should be able to do what they want. But it does make me sad that that is a thing people feel the need to do. That being said, if somebody is so dissatisfied with uh, an, an element of how they look and it is causing them a lot of upset and they feel, you know what, actually there is a fix for this and I'm going to do that. You know, again, I think the cause of it is is upsetting which is we're sold this false notion of this is what you need to look like to be valid but that is the reality that we live in so yeah but dude that's like putting a you know not to be deep but that's like putting a plaster on a broken leg (laughs) you know what i mean like that's like i get it too if someone was that upset and distraught with what they look like and they said i just need a boob job because they don't make me feel better like i i had no judgment for somebody thinking that but that's an no addiction. Judgment. That's, no judgment that's, at all. That's like a sex addict saying, I just need to have sex because that's going to ma- validate myself. Yeah. They're going to go and do it again. And 100%. they'll never feel right. And it's not their fault. It is society having put that on them. But they like people have got to unpack that. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the route away from that is, but I agree with everything you just said, that I think it is societal pressure which is causing people to be so unhappy with themselves that they need to go to the knife to alter their appearance. And that is... 100% whether they realize it or not for other people and it's 100% uh, a product of advertising and unattainable standards of beauty so I'm, I'm with you there yeah yeah I think I think the more because I've definitely gone through have you ever thought about plastic surgery no I'm 
<laughs> You're beautiful as it is. <laughs> You're David, right? Um, I have definitely gone through periods of time where I've thought, oh, how much? Oh, actually, I have actually gone to a plastic surgery clinic. Mm-hmm. I totally forgot I did this. Last year, I, I'll be totally honest, like I was just not happy with my thighs and like I had tried to lose weight. I've always been somebody who's like always been relatively skinny on my top half, but like mm-hmm. my bottom half is like always not been that skinny. PPCG, when- right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, PPCG, yeah. Progress Pure Curve Guide. Um, and last year I had uh, lost weight and was trying to lose weight. And uh, which now I want to say like, I'm very, I, I am lucky that I genuinely am happy with the way that I look like now. And I don't actively try and change the way that I look like. And that has is the result of like years of, um, you know, trying to actively love my body from a state of when I was like 12, 13, 14 to like holding my stomach and being like, oh, I'm so fat, blah, blah, blah. Mm. Uh, now I'm lucky that I've done like that, that mental um, work and I do love the way that I look now um, and the, the way that I am and the way that I feel and blah, blah, blah. But last year I went through a bit of a like down thing and I was like, God, it's so annoying. Like, I feel like I try and cut all this food out and I'm still have big thighs. And so I booked an appointment on Harley Street mm-hmm. uh, with a liposuction because I heard my friend had done it and apparently it was a really easy surgery. And so I thought, why not? Like, and I genuinely did think it would just be a really interesting experience to go do that. And I was 23 at the time. And I go to Harley Street Clinic and I sit down with this woman in this like, kind of shitty office and she looks at me and she's like, so you wanna, you want to and like I'm not fat and I don't have a problem like at all and she looked at me and she was like oh yes you want to get it done and she was like um you know you're kind of in good shape and I was like yeah thanks but like I always really wanted like really thin thighs and she looked at me and she was like yeah okay actually we could take some off here and we could take some off there and we could take some off there and I was like okay she didn't ask me anything about my mental health, mm-hmm. how, I, how I'm doing now, have I seen a doctor, well, what's a business, my nutrition? Right? It's a business. Yeah. And then I, I said, how much is it? And it was like 16 grand or whatever. And I literally no. laughed and was like, if I, as a hardworking woman, I'm going to send 16 fucking grand. To get little chunks of me cut off. To get little chunks, no. of, chunks of me cut no, 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 off. No, 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 like, no, 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 you can't. No. no, obviously now I would never, ever, ever do that. And to be honest, at the time, I don't think I ever would have done it either. I think it was genuinely curiosity led. But people do do that. And uh, it's really, it's really sad. It is sad. I think, look, it's it's one of those things that it's so, it's so difficult to understand like how to react because these things aren't going to go away because there is such a demand for it. And but maybe we need to strive for that. Maybe we need to strive to when people say you like, oh, she's a bit fat or like this and that. And like people around me do it all the time. I do it all the time. Maybe we've literally got to actively say to someone like, why do you think like, just stop for a mm-hmm. second. Like, you've just said this. Why do you think that? And like question them on that and yeah. see if unpack that with that within them so that we don't let societal norm, societal like pressures or institutions dominated by money cause us to like be so what's the word dog like to be so within the dogma does yeah, that make sense I, i'll nod along and just say, to, yeah. I, I get what <laughs> to you mean. be so led yeah. without actually thinking so it's every time somebody says something which uh challenges what we think beautiful is so if somebody makes a comment which undermines how somebody uh is or what their appearance is stopping and saying to them well look you know what why do you think that that isn't a desirable way to look or where does that uh opinion come from and i think you're right if you unpack it and you go back and back and back far enough it's because there are these institutions that are, you know, yeah, I'll agree with you. They are repressive um, and they are commercially oriented, which tell us we need to look like this to fit in. And I think actually if more people stopped and were critical of what their notions of beauty were, I think it would make the world a much happier mm-hmm. and you know, more welcoming and more inviting place. Just before we wrap this up, because I know you've got to go Yom Kippur and all of that. Got to atone for all of my sins. <laughs> um Dating apps, just really quickly, I want to talk about in relation to this. Like, I I can say, I try, I date guys who I find very, like, charismatic or interesting or funny or whatever. And, of course, if you have a dating app, though, I can't deny looks do come into play because of that. Do you think that you, I was trying to think if I would perhaps try and go for someone in the, these next couple of weeks, like, try and organize a date with someone who typically I wouldn't because I didn't find them as physically attractive, um... 
uh, to a certain level do you and and maybe that that's a bad thing and maybe i should try and not see people based on looks when so much so even though that's what they're designed for on these apps do you think that maybe this conversation has made you try to be more open to somebody who's not deemed as necessarily quote-unquote beauty beautiful and if not fair just say it because i'm not necessarily sure that i want to do that i'm just thinking about it i don't know but i'll if you do it i'll you know, I'll do it as well. Go on a date with an ugly person. Joking. <laughs> Guys, uh, we're joking. We're joking. You need to check where you get those assumptions from. <laughs> so true. Um, but next time you have me back on, I'll uh, let you know how I get on. Okay, great. Thanks for coming on the pod, Jude. Anytime, Tesh. Okay. And that's it. I hope you guys enjoyed that pod. If you did enjoy that pod, please leave me a five-star review on Google Podcasts because that means that one day maybe I can do this as my full-time career and I could be fully liberated and control my own finances and break the glass ceiling. (laughs) I'm joking, but seriously, leave me a five-star review. Bye, guys.